What's up, guys? This is Kenny Buller on the Second Floor Podcast. For those of you who are tuning in and have been tuning in, you very well should be aware that this podcast is everything health and business focused. With myself focusing primarily on health, myself and Omid bring to you a wide array of guests and tips and strategies surrounding how you can optimize your health and elevate your business to the next level beyond the nine to five grind from people who are finding a great balance between putting their health first and also crushing it in what they're doing on the business front. Today's guest, the one and only Pradeep Bala, has had over eight competitions around the world in bodybuilding with one of them being second place as a welterweight in Canada in 2019. He's somebody who not only competed in all of those competitions drug-free, he also managed to do them while balancing his corporate professional position at ATB Financial currently. He argues that the time and energy he spends in his craft as a bodybuilder has actually helped service him in becoming a more focused and determined professional in the corporate world. And that's huge. That is something where we discussed arguably some people might find the amount of energy and time you put into your side hustle or not even not even side hustle, your your hobby might deter you away from the things you need to get done in your position. But I hope after you listen to this, you gain some clarity and understanding that if there's that hobby that you have and you love doing it, you still have the possibility of being able to become excellent at it while you're juggling the demands that work are putting on you Because at the end of the day, yes, that is something that you have to prioritize because that's what puts food on the table. And when it comes to some of the things we talked about, you know, how to actually manage your time effectively, we gave some pretty awesome uh, coaching tips on both ends, you know, how to make sure you could turn the switch on or off, um, depending on what you're doing. I understand even for myself, there's so many light switches on at the same time. But really, when you sit down with Pradeep, you get to learn in the best possible way how to stay present. And taking a deep dive into, you know, just certain ideologies around building a program to build big muscles when it comes to bodybuilding, uh, when it comes to explaining why you should do certain exercises to a general population client. I mean, with the two hours that we spent together, we got to go deep on a lot of different concepts. One of them surrounding, let's say, all-encompassing this particular subject matter I studied in Precision Nutrition for my Level 2 program surrounding the wheel of excellence it starts with a huge deep rooted sense of commitment and it carries through with the good strong sense of belief that you're able to accomplish whatever it is that you're about to commit to Uh, Pradeep explains his opinions on what needs to be sacrificed and how you can 
apply and take the time to do certain things because it becomes the focus. And then afterwards, when you're done in a competition, you can go back to living more of a balanced lifestyle. So you know what? You're going to have to take notes on this one. Take take a seat back, listen to it on the way to work, and then come back, listen to it on the way back home. It's, it's a long one, but surely you're going to gain a lot of clarity. Uh, before we dive in, let's take a quote from the man Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. And he says, I can hide my feelings under my muscles. Definitely. I can hide them as long as necessary. And when they feel, when I feel they could come out, sorry, I let them out. I think this is fantastic. It's great to have control over my mind. Other people get mixed up. They can't control themselves. They can't go to work for a week or they can't talk on the phone because they're crying. I can switch myself back and forth. When I'm training for a competition, I can be what some people call inhuman. But really, I think it's more like being superhuman. Then after the competition, I could switch off again, be human, and very emotional, and so on. By the man, the myth, the legend, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Keep that quote in mind and be ready to take a ride on this episode. Here we go. We could actually dive right in. Uh, you know, it's obviously, thanks, Omid. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Pradeep, you know, with, with season two right now, you're somebody who reflects so much of both of the entities we're focusing on. That's the health aspect of what, you know, I'm really focusing on and with Omid focusing on the business side. Mm -hmm. And I figured with today's conversation, we could talk a little bit about both experiences that you have at play with bodybuilding and then balancing all of that with uh, your entrepreneurial journey or your intrapreneurial journey through working with ATB right now. Sure. There's one statement I want to make that I find is based on your mission statement. Your mission statement, when I read it, it, it resonated with me so much because it's so similar to mine. And when you said that you want to empower Fortune 500 executives to look and feel as good as they would if they were capable of being on a fitness magazine, that's huge because I personally work with entrepreneurs. I love working with entrepreneurs because I feel like they have a certain drive that they bring into their work that they can take into their fitness goals. And it's why I want to look at how that came about for you, why you care so much personally as well mm -hmm. to take CEOs, executives, high level managers in the capacity of a business and let them know that, Hey, with how hard you're grinding in your job, it actually is possible mm -hmm. to be in the best damn shape of your life to look like you could be on a fitness magazine. Of course. So it, what, I, what I find quite interesting with, with really high caliber, high level and career orientated men and women is that there, and as you said very correctly, that word drive is there. The drive is there to meet specific business objectives, key performance indicators or KPIs. 
they're so driven to meet top line numbers and or no matter what the business endeavor is, they're so driven to survive and make it within the marketplace to deliver to the end consumer. And their mentality is shaped. And especially if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, I feel, and if, if you have that capital and for them, it's here's, here's, my, here's my capital and I need to deliver on this end product. I need to survive as an entrepreneur. That's their mentality. I personally don't know what it feels like to be, be an entrepreneur, but I, I can understand where their mindset comes from to pursue resiliency, determination, to really thrive because they're passionate about their business endeavor objective. Using those mindset traits can easily be transferred into health and fitness for that same individual. It's just about them understanding to create that bridge and developing the tools to then know that they too can can just transfer that mentality and just shift focus to to their to their fitness um, goals. Yeah. Wow. There. It's funny how we spend every single day, you know, looking at seeing what needs to get done, and we could easily take that into consideration with our own bodies. And you mentioned a really key thing there. I love that KPI. It's something that we talk a lot about in the corporate world, mm. right? And that's key performance indicators. In your perspective, from a general population standpoint, right? Maybe someone who doesn't aspire to be like you in winning these national level bodybuilding competition competitions, but they want to be fit. Mm -hmm. What would be that person's key performance indicator for their health? What are some determinant factors that you believe are like, hey, these are some things that we should focus on building? Mm -hmm. from, from the initial set of clients I've had the opportunity to work with, it seems to me that attention and time management is very big. It will be trying to improve the amount and quality of their sleep, adequate nutrition, and simple consistency with their um, weight training schedule. It's, it doesn't have to be rocket science, but I feel it really, it's honestly, the, I find that like the biggest thing for general pop is time management. It's often individuals telling me they don't have the time when in reality it comes down to understanding where you, you where someone has prioritized a lot of attention and it perhaps doesn't need so much so much priority level and instead it can be diverted to something else. And looking at their prioritization in their daily life schedule can then show them, hey, you know what I actually have a bit more time here, a bit more time here, and maybe I can sleep more here. Maybe I can do some meal prepping. Maybe I can work on mobility. Maybe I can weight train. So I find time management, their sleep, nutrition, and their just con just consistency with those basic factors will already help them surpass what they thought was impossible. Yeah, that's such a good point. I. I really like actually dissecting what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and what should be done at a particular time. It's, it's worked wonders for even me personally. Even when my director asked me, Kenny, like, you should be here nine to six. Okay, that's your work life. What needs to be done at what time? 
Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if nine to 12 is your management time, okay, well, which meetings are going to be done through that every single day at that time? Mm-hmm. And then I took that concept and I also, with my clients, recognized that, okay, well, let's do this outside work. We focus so much on managing our time and expectations through what we do in our job. Why don't we do that for our own life? Mm-hmm. And I sat down with my clients. This was when I first started online coaching. This was during the pandemic. And I just said, listen, why don't we just for the first week start recording what you're doing on every hour block? If you want to go that much further, go every half hour block. Just see. Start recording. What are you doing? You know, if, you, if you're looking on your phone, okay, record it. Don't be judgmental by it. Just know that that's what you did at that time, right? Okay, you went, hung out with friends. Okay, how how long did that take? Then after that, we looked and we assessed, how much time are you spending in the non-negotiable things that just have to get done, right? You got to get ready. You have to eat. You have to do your laundry. Just things like that that go into this needs to get done. Well, how much percentage-wise are you spending on the things that you could do less of to replace what you should do more of? Right? That's going back to your point about being productive, using your time wisely, managing those expectations for yourself. And then those are the habits that we now are going to optimize. Let's recognize that, okay, laundry, getting ready, it's going to take that long. It's okay. Let it take that long. You've been so used to doing that. But now with everything else, if you're spending an hour a day on social media, let's cut that in half. Now you have an extra half hour. What are you going to do with it? You know, this is where we go back to your goals. I want to read more. Oh, I want to sleep more. Oh, I want to do that workout, but I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. But hey, now we do. We just want another 30 minutes. Yeah. So it's, it's really neat that you bring that up because it's so easy to say, oh, okay, I just, I got to manage my time, but how do you do it? And that's what's worked for me personally is just doing the same thing at the same time and then looking at seeing with the free time I have, what am I doing with it? What are some maybe strategies you have that worked for you outside of that? Anything outside the box or even things that you've shared with your clients, Pradeep? Yeah, I, accountability is very big for me. Accountability. My, my clients are accountable um, to everything they do. Even if, even if I just don't discuss my specific clients, if I just look at my daily work, even on a daily basis, weekly, weekly basis, I practice immense amount of ownership and immense of immense amount of accountability to everything I do. So if I am there sleeping in, I then will tell myself, listen, you slept in an extra hour. Understand that something else within your day has to get rushed if you want to fill in ABC, XYZ, one, two, three. Ownership at every single point in my daily journey or my client's daily journey is quite important to digest because once we own every single action, then we can say, oh, right, this is why I I can get this done. This is why I couldn't get this done. This is why, damn, I missed a meal. I mean, this is why, because if if I don't want to rush this part of the process, something has to give. What has to give? Do I not spend as much time with my partner? Do I have to not sleep as much? Like, like what has to give? There, so it comes, also comes down to what are the expectations I or you or the clients or anyone has in their daily schedule, in their daily schedule? What do you expect of yourself to achieve? Based on that, how realistic are your expectations given your actions and ownership of those actions? 
So for me, my strategy, my strategy is um, extreme ownership. I am a hundred percent accountable to every single thing I do. In order, in order to make this podcast happen, I have had to work a bit quicker in the early part of my day. I've had to work on client projects a bit quicker, a little bit faster, wake up a bit earlier just to make this happen. And so it, take, it takes a bit of balancing and juggling throughout everyone's schedule because as you've said very clearly prior, life throws different things at you. Things have to get done. But if you want to do other side projects, work on fitness, do lovely projects like this podcast here, it takes a bit of balancing and understanding great time management. It really does. And there's such a beautiful element of self-talk that you just described. There's that voice inside our head where we have to be aware of what questions are we asking ourselves. You know, how much of what we are asking is actually allowing us to make those adjustments. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we will tell ourselves that, no, this needs to happen and it needs to happen right now. Well, you just made a great point. You slept in an extra hour. So what? Great. Let's look at it like, okay, maybe I needed that. Mm -hmm. It was a long week. Yeah. But okay, that's an extra hour that I needed in my day. Yeah. And I don't want everything to feel rushed. What's maybe the one thing that will be rushed mm -hmm. or that I can just reschedule? Yeah. And that power of rescheduling, the power of knowing and recognizing that you're not pressured to do something at that moment because you know now that you may not be able to perform at the best of your ability, being honest with that, yeah. telling yourself that. I mean, let's be honest. You don't want to reschedule everything in your life constantly. You don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. However, knowing if you're not, let's just say, 120% committed in the first place, then everything else is sort of going to, to fall through the cracks. And this is something that's pretty beautiful, Pradeep, because it reminds me of something I wanted to even bring up. I feel like it's a good, good way into structuring out how you've balanced so much success in your career, in your nine to five, with you being such a relentless competitor as a bodybuilder mm -hmm. with the national championships you've won. I know for a fact that if we look at that from the retrospect of the wheel of excellence, this is something that I just recently studied on my uh, level two a precision nutrition program. And it pretty much goes through the following steps. It says to achieve any level of high excellence, you need to number one, be committed. That commitment has to be there. Next to the commitment has to be a strong sense of belief towards you knowing that this is something you want to do right now and you believe you can achieve it. The third thing is have laser focus. So make sure you understand that what is going to be priority is going to come first. Everything else comes second to that. And then the next is have a level of deep-rooted positivity, right? There's going to be some of those setbacks in which I know we want to talk about that come into play. How are you going to overcome those situations? And then a little bit of a deep analysis on sitting yourself down and evaluating. Okay, what have I done so far? What has distracted me? It kind of goes back to looking at those factors that just don't need to be there and replacing it with what you told yourself you're going to commit to. And I want to just kind of throw all that out on you right now mm. and see from your perspective how much a deep level of commitment initially for whatever it is that you wanted to achieve for the past while 
um, has, has sprung about everything else that has come into this wheel of excellence that I bring up. One, thank you for sharing what you've learned um, in your second stage of your certificate for precision nutrition. I think the way you've described that wheel of excellence is, 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 is very important for, for many to understand. Um, where do I even begin? Mm-hmm. Let's just start with commitment. For, uh, for me, I, I don't, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying not to use general words here. I'll say it for myself. When it comes down to meeting any objective that I that I wholeheartedly want to see myself achieving, it is it's very black and white. It's a hundred percent, or it's or it's not there. There's no gray area. I'll kind maybe I'll try. No, no half-assing. There's no half-assing. Say for instance, if it's if I look at my my fitness career and pursuing national level shows, it's if I want to be the best in the country in my weight class, this these are the steps required, and there's no excuse. These are the what's right. The, these are the steps required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, the, this is these, and as you've said, these are non-negotiable parts of the process. There is no excuse because I do have a mentor, Jordan Peters, out in uh, out in England. I think he's in Manchester, Birmingham. Uh, so I'm accountable to him. And he commands an immense amount of work ethic out of me, and so I have no choice but to perform. Uh, it's I don't I don't do this by myself, and it's good to have accountability outside. Uh, and so, because he has told me these are non-negotiable to get things done. If you want to be a top-tier drug-free athlete in your sport, this is the reality, Pradeep. You need to accept this, and this is the expectation I will have of you. And here we go. One, two, three. Let's go. It's, it's straight into the fire. That's how I. That's how I best work. That's that commitment right? that, that you're that, ready to that, make. That, that is a hundred percent commitment. There is there is no wavering, um, and there is no excuse to not get the work done because what I'm trying to achieve, I believe, is 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 it is it just demands so much of me. And we can talk about that later and, and my character development in 2019. But if I bridge that into work commitments, whether it's meeting client expectations, raising the bar, meeting marketing objectives, or, tr- or understanding why this is the creative strategy, strategy we've taken, understanding the process, um, abiding by process, improving the creative output, improving audience engagement, it, it is paying attention to every part of the process to meet client expectation and then over deliver and produce amazing work. It, it, it's, it's, it goes back and forth across this bridge and I feel like I've taken a lot from my fitness and bodybuilding competitions. Tied that in. And it's just tied into work and it's just a drive of this is what has to get done in order to meet this level of excellence. We're going to do it as a team and we'll all work together. And because we all keep each person accountable and practice radical candor, we'll get it done. For someone who's in such a, let's just call it an independent sport, Mm -hmm. it's very beautiful for you to bring that up because it goes to show that no matter what you're doing, no matter what, type of competition you're putting yourself out there on even if it's just you up on the stage smiling 
you know, with the best physique possible you've ever been able to create for yourself, you knew deep down that you couldn't have done it on your own. It is just you up there and it takes a, an insane amount of sacrifice that you had to make. People had to tell you you need to do it. But guess what? It was up to you to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's just really beautiful that you respect the process of mentorship and having a team behind your back to make that happen. 100%. I, for anyone who, who doesn't know me, I am my own worst critic. I can't, I will run myself into the ground unless I have a third set of eyes to look at me and say, Pradeep, whoa, slow down or, you know, go a bit more or go harder in your, in your process. I need mentorship to make sure I am on the right course and at the right pace. And, you know, it's unique you say that because for some people, they argue that them being their worst critic for themselves works in their favor. Would you say it doesn't for you? You kind of have a, a mentor to in a sense, slow you down and tell you that you're doing everything you need to right now. Stop beating yourself up. Being, be, um, be, I'll say that being my worst critic has has pros and cons. One, the I believe the pros are immense accountability. I under, I understand, right, Pradeep, you messed up here. You did this great, and or understand you're still learning the process. Don't be so hard on yourself. Hence, worst critic, quote unquote. My mentor helps me understand this is what you can expect within this process. Your expectation is way too high or you can do much better. He helps me gauge and kind of, uh, he helps me gauge what kind of expectation I ought to have. So having both at the same time, I feel is quite nice. Yeah, it creates a good balance. With you going into bodybuilding so young, Pradeep, you started at 16 years old. It reminds me of the, you can say, argument behind your body still growing at that age. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can share some dialogue around maybe how intense your training routine was at that young of an age. It just, someone comes to mind when I learned that you trained that young. There's, he's actually uh, <laughs> very, very close in our life between me and Omid, just to keep him private. I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I mentioned him, but, you know, just permission aside. He is at the gym every day. He's 16 years old. Kid's a stud, right? He's yeah. so hungry and relentless in his approach of uh, bodybuilding, right? Like he's shaping his body right before my eyes. You know, when he just started this new transformation program he's on and, and being more cut and lean and cutting his weight down and he wants to make sure by 18 he wants to be in that next competition for bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. I just noticed there's so much of that drive that's only going into bodybuilding in his life. Sure. I overheard him say, and again, this is back to balance, right? Yeah. He goes to my client, who's a good buddy of his, and he says this, hey man, when are you going to pass me the modules? I was like, modules? Maybe these guys are talking about school. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh man, I'll get to it. I'm sorry. So I go to I go to my client. I'm like, what modules is he talking about? He's like, oh, he just wants the answers of my test mm -hmm. <laughs> on, on our assignment. Sure. So I go to him. I'm bugging him. I've been there. I did the same thing in high school, right? Quick little, oh, let's just get this from a buddy so we don't have to worry about it. But I had to tell him something. I was like, hey, I go to him. He's like, what's up? I was like, what, are you not doing your homework? 
Mm. He's like, man, I don't have time. Right back to that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because you're, your ass is in here every day and you're right. grinding. And I bet this is the one and only thing you could focus on. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm too busy trying to get the gains, man. Right? Yeah. Like 16-year-old stud. And I was like, man, if you put half the amount of effort you did that you're putting into this in school, you wouldn't have to call your buddy and ask for those answers. Mm -hmm. And I know, sure enough, I I did the same thing then. I can't be a hypocrite, but I did need people to tell me that then. Mm -hmm. So that way, when I did go into university, it was like, hey, it's just me now. I'm not going to ask buddy for answers. I got to really figure this stuff out if I want to know a subject. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really interesting. You know, I bring that up because I want to know what your mentality looked like when you started your journey as a bodybuilder. What got you into it and how did you balance that level of, you know, that love you started getting for it with, oh, I got to get grades. Oh, I got to be there for my friends. I got to have a life. Like, what did that all look like on your end? Because I want other 16-year-old kids to listen to this. I'm going to send this episode to Buddy. I'm going to be like, listen, let's hear from someone who was in your shoes not too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> not too long ago. <laughs> it, was, it was like 15, 16 years ago. Um, no, no, okay, let's just imagine. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Uh, yeah, Pre-COVID. <laughs> not too long ago. Um, circa 2006. Now you aged yourself. <laughs> yeah, now, now I aged myself. Um, I mean, like when I was 16, I didn't know any better. I'll be really honest. I didn't know what I was doing in the gym. Trial and error. It was trial and error. Um, you know, when I was in 2006, mid 2006, I was, I was 16 and I'd finished high school early and coming from a family who really prides himself on education first, nothing else matters. That being the very typical South Indian mentality. So I was there in McGill, um, at age 16, I was in uni at age 16. What? Yeah. Wow. I began uni at 16. And so I was there this fresh youngling who was always protected by the family. And then now I'm here in this brash open world. And I'm just seeing guys at the gym, like just haul weight, um, jump squats with 405, because they were playing rugby or American football. And they're men. They're and like that, yeah. probably 18, 19, they, 20, like older than you. Probably 30 at this point. Yeah. And, I, and I think, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Like, no, I can't. I'm going to break myself. But here I am just doing things through trial and error. But, Thankfully, I had my parents to tell me, listen, your education comes first. Um, no one's going to pay you just for lifting weight. And which at that time when I was 16, 17, that was very true. It was me trying to understand I at least need some kind of foundation education to get a career. Because the gym was always going to be there. As much as I'd fallen in love with this weightlifting thing and wanted to build my physique as in the magazines I had seen... Um, because when I was 16, 17, it was all a dream. It was all very much this fantasy. And it was me imagining, wow, be cool to look like that X, Y, Z. Uh, but it came down to slowly understanding this part of my life is, is pretty pivotal. I need to understand that I need some basic core competencies in education in order to build my career. Um, and obviously at 16, 17, bodybuilding for me was just, just something recreational. I was just, I was just lifting weight. You know, I was there trying to lift 405 with the worst form ever in my deadlift. Like my, my back could have bro broken, like, I, <laughs> but I'd be like, I didn't care. Like that was just me being stupid. Looking back, rounded spine. Yeah, seriously, seriously, <laughs> that's what it was. No neutral spine. It was no glute work. It was yeah. just all over back. Um, but things began to take on a bit more seriously with regards to my lifting career when I moved to London, England, when there weren't 
um, I guess, uh, you know, I didn't have the hawk eyes of my parents looking at me. Uh, and that's when I kind of thought, okay, I'm abroad. I need to balance both my education and my aspirations. What do I do? And again, it came down to this, at least for me, it was this immense amount of pressure to, to perform within my education because the investment had been made to perform and get this amazing degree. That's important. The gym was always going to be there, no matter what. Yeah, that's super important to know when you recognize and respect the value of what certain X amount of years of education are going to bring you mm-hmm. in comparison to certain X amount of years of uh, something that just at that time makes you look good. There's so many principles around it making you feel good. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you've experienced that too. How much did that make you accept that bodybuilding is not going to be this career choice? Because there's so many people out there who we believe wholeheartedly. We have the conversations a lot about if you have so much passion towards bodybuilding, okay, well, now there's the route of you turning into a trainer full time. Mm -hmm. Now there's a route of you doing competitions. Now you're becoming an influencer. Okay. You're going down that path. However, I understand too. I can't imagine what that might've looked like for you internally when your family, you know, managed to give you this blessed opportunity to go into university years earlier than normal and go to a prestigious university. And you're, you're in this like headspace of, okay, if I, the ROI associated with me getting this degree and getting this job, far higher of a return and far sooner than trying to make something out of myself in bodybuilding. So I'm wondering what that decision-making complex looked like for you at that time. Because it sounds to me like even based off of bodybuilding still being in your life, Mm -hmm. and now you have another very comfortable, awesome job that aspires that business side of you. It sounds like you've come to terms with accepting that. And I just want to know like, what were some of the, conversations you had with yourself to allow to make that happen or if there were any moments where it was a tough pill to swallow it it i don't think it was a tough pill to swallow for me i wholeheartedly respect and understand that being within the fitness industry and making a great living from it still takes immense amount of time immense amount of passion time management, follow up with your clients, what's the user journey like, are you improving your skills as a trainer, are you start, Are you studying biomechanics, physiology, do you need to study some kind of kinesiology, what kind of rehab would you need, like there's so much someone can continually learn. It's endless on the education route. It's, it's endless. And along that continual journey, some people feel I, I know everything, some people feel I don't know anything. Um, and hopefully, individuals keep wanting to learn that in its own sphere is is, is, a, is a complete job and on an, an undertaking that has immense amount of time commitments i knew when i was completing my degree that i didn't i just didn't feel like i wanted to put an abundance of time within that space i was surrounded with an environment especially within London, that was filled with um, individuals working in investment banks or within high fashion industry 
So my aspirations were, man, I want, I want to be working within, the, within finance. I want to be working within luxury branding. That for me, that for me was very attractive. I still will be lifting. I still, I still know I can look amazing um, in a suit. That, that's fine. But for me, it was the draw and attraction towards this entire opportunity to, to do something that's seen on a massive scale. Not to say that um, personal training isn't seen on a mass scale, massive scale, it, because it is. Fitness is seen on a massive scale. But for mm-hmm. me, at that age, in that environment, I thought, wow, I want to be going this way towards yeah. um, different uh, industries. High status, high reputation, high rollers. Was Were those elements attached to that? fantasy of what it's going to be like going that route it, it it wasn't necessarily the fact of it being high roller it was more of the interest of uh this is the environment i enjoy working in because uh say for instance my work within within high fashion or, or harrods at least it was the creative narrative i saw within a gq magazine yeah, I saw the I've print. Thinking of GQ I right saw now. Sean Connery with a um, with a really old school Louis, Louis Vuitton set, and I thought this this piece looks amazing. Like who who creatively thought of putting this together? Like what is the creative narrative behind this? Why this person and this piece and this background and this edit? Like like what is this? That was the attraction to me. The science behind making it look that way it, on the magazine. Yeah, it, it was the whole creative composition of bringing these elements together and creating the story for the audience. Like that's what I I enjoyed. That's what I like doing, and and hence why I think my attention went that way versus no, I want I want to be a PT, or or really pursue fitness as a career. Wow, very relatable. And it's it's crazy that you mentioned GQ because I had that in the back of my mind when you were mentioning, you know, the the reasoning behind wanting to go more so that business route for yourself. Mm-hmm. I was in high school and I was at a time in my life where I started to really respect the look good, feel good mentality, right? You know, I started to recognize... Oh, fall fashion, winter fashion, the trends associated with seasons. And, you know, it's Edmonton 20, 2010 at the time. I mean, the best you're going to get from a guy at that time is a is a polo shirt with blue jeans on. <laughs> you mm. know what I mean? Like, that was the Christian Odigee era and the true religion era. You know what oh I mean? My like, God. <laughs> Christian Odigee. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah. Way throwback. Like, oh, uh, were goodness. you in Edmonton during this time or no? No, I was in England. Yeah, you you missed out. Like, I mean, even now we're working on it, I feel like, as men in Edmonton mm. to become more fashionable. And I just remember I was like, man, just started looking at GQ magazine. And I feel like their mantra slogan is uh, look good, feel sharp. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was my first indication of, wow, like, so I'm like 15, I'm like, this is what it looks like to be a man. You know, you got you to gotta look good, you got to dress sharp, you got you to gotta be trendy, you got to find unique ways of putting pieces together. And that was my first taste of taking my love at that time and recognizing, back to your point, strategy, marketing, mm-hmm. how to make something look presentable, even from down to the science of a man, down to the T of... I can just switch up your wardrobe a little bit, clean up your hair, and boom, now you look like you're ready to be on GQ magazine, right? But again, it's that time and attention, but recognizing when I started even doing that for myself, world of a difference, right? I think taking care 
of your own self, that self-care physically, tying that shirt back into fitness, will genuinely make you feel more confident, make you feel like you have that edge. And it's why I, at the time, I wanted to work for GQ Magazine. I remember that was like one of my my dreams. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to figure this out and, uh, you know, get an understanding of what it was. And if I look back on why, Pradeep, it was because I want to work for a company or be a part of something where they care about turning someone physically or emotionally um, and heightening those senses, making that person feel like they're 2.0. And naturally, I mean, when I look back, why the fitness industry is such a good fit for me is because there's so much, there's, there's this element of making someone get so comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like they have to push beyond certain limits. You know, when you're trying to suit up somebody for their wedding and they don't normally wear suits, how uncomfortable and nerve wracking is it for that person? You know, but then now it's up to you to let them know why we're doing it, why these pants should be tapered, why this should be, you know, aligned with your shoulders on the on the crest of the vest, like those little nuances behind fashion tying into why you look and feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think what's quite fascinating with what you said is getting uncomfortable within within any pursuit of any endeavor learning to become un, a bit uncomfortable provides a sense of growth whether it be within your career or within fitness i think everyone ought to be a bit uncomfortable to see how much their character grows don't you think what did, what did you do to get really uncomfortable i mean i i because you know what i'm really curious about you've traveled a lot mm -hmm. you know from Everywhere you've been and however long you've settled in every single place you've gone, there had to be an element of, you know, the unknown, the, okay, now I have to make new friends. Okay, now I have to settle into a new job. Okay, now I have to figure out how to get around this city. Was there, uh, were, were you excited about that unknown territory or did that feel very uncomfortable for you? Right. I'm trying to see how I can put this properly. I was fortunate to have traveled to several countries because of the sacrifices my parents had made. So I, I still owe them a lot of debt. And so as a young child traveling from the, from India to, to the Middle East, to the States, to Canada, I was just genuinely quite excited. I was just young. I didn't know any better. I was just excited to go, oh, a new city. Let's go travel here, travel there. I think growing up, it was often for me very difficult creating new friends because I was just so comfortable with my with my friend circle in that specific country or city. Uh, so initially, it was very exciting for me. What I found very uncomfortable was leaving London, England to Edmonton. That's the first time I was immensely uncomfortable because I'd been in England for almost 10 years and I had everything set up there. My flat was there. My friends were there. I knew different boroughs like the back of my hand. Um, my gyms were there. My colleagues were there. Excuse me, there were different events I always attended. It was like London was my life. And then Brexit happened. What happened? Brexit uh, is when the is when England was trying to leave the EU. Oh, yeah. Right? So that yeah. book came through in, I think, early 2016. 
And I thought, right, okay, maybe this isn't the best place for me at this time. Uh, and so I was immensely uncomfortable and apprehensive leaving England. What made you think that out of curiosity before you continue on? What, what, what immediately made you go, okay, this is not a, a, either a safe or economical viable place to be in anymore? I was trying so hard to cement my position in London at that time when everything around me, especially given um, the immigration situation for foreign nationals, wasn't lending itself for me to stay there. And I was really bending over backwards to somehow keep myself there. And it came to a point where I thought, you know, it's just more headache than it is worth it. And so I thought, let's just do the smart thing and just very peacefully transfer over back to Canada. Makes sense. So it was, it was uncomfortable for me leaving everything I set up there to then come to Edmonton. And bear in mind that when I was living in, in London, I traveled back and forth to Edmonton once in a while. But I, I never thought I'd be living here. And so to leave my leave my job, leave my friends, leave my entire ecosystem there and come here and reestablish myself, that was immensely uncomfortable. Yeah, what you did is something that I to this day have accepted I'm not willing to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I went through it recently in my life. I haven't shared this personally on, on air yet, but uh, I had to accept the fact that I'm not going to Toronto. And that unfortunately came with certain... Um, you know, unfortunate circumstances between uh, myself and and who was my significant other, you know, like her and I needed to accept the reality of if Toronto does not serve me right now based off my career aspirations and Edmonton doesn't fulfill her desire to be happy and at the same time also be a good fit for her current career aspirations, we had to no longer entertain the idea of me moving there sooner than what we were hoping for. Throughout that, that was probably in my life lately the one of the toughest decisions I needed to make, because it's one of those things where you recognize you know you're doing the right thing, but it comes at a really great loss. You know, as someone who you have planned the better part of five years of your life with recently and then now with the future plans of what the next 20 years want to look like it's almost like that's now all gone but this is why i was so curious to ask you because i'm currently trying to get back to being comfortable with making sure i made the right decision i don't regret it it still sucks i'm still coping through it it's just recognizing that you made a good point about like community and friendship and the, the, the seeds you've already planted. That's me right now. I, I feel so attached to my home city that I've recognized that as, although I fantasized, I've dreamed of the idea of going to a bigger city and oh, let's, let's just make it all happen. A taste of more success and a taste of, uh, you know, making some calculated risks. I decided to just be a, I decided almost from what anyone else would think, be like, oh, you're just, you're complacent with where you're at right now. But I'm accepting the fact that it needs to happen here right now. And for you, what are some of the things where you're very different? I find you can't, you, you made that move. You, you've made that decision to be like, okay, maybe it's best for me. Maybe it isn't. I'm going to go try it out. What helped you adjust to a new climate? 
and be in a new city. And like, I'd almost be writing notes right now if I did end up choosing that route to Toronto. But it, I think just everyone else out there, there's people who make those moves and they, they don't look back and they hope they're going to make the right decision. They can only tell just by adjusting. I just feared what, I feared how hard that adjustment will be. Gotcha. Uh, one, Kenny, thank you for sharing um, what you have on there. Uh, I think it takes a lot of, a lot of courage to share what you just have. Yeah, thanks, um, man. It takes a lot of vulnerability as well. So thank you for sharing that to me and, and your audiences. Um, yeah, there is always going to be the fantasy of living and breathing this dream-like sequence in our head. There's this imaginative day-to-day -day life we'd like to have, whether it be in Toronto, whether it be in Paris or LA, wherever it might be. But then there's the reality of making said thing happen. I, I say this like a broken tape recorder. We don't know the hardship someone else has because they don't speak of it. I don't know what it's like to continue to work in this harsh climate in London, England. I don't know what it actually takes to survive and thrive and, and really pursue life in Toronto. And I've been to Toronto twice in my life and I love this. I love the place. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh my, I love the place. So I don't know, I don't know what it takes. I can dream about it and I can say, I will make it happen no matter what. And if that's the reality I want to take on, I need to accept every single wall that's placed ahead of me. And so if I were to take this back to me transitioning from, from London to Edmonton, I just had to accept the reality at, at what was at my feet. My life told me, hey man, listen, you've done almost 10 years here. You literally have run or ridden a roller coaster many others would have loved to ride and now you need to understand that the ride's over you have taken and learned as much as you can after nine and a half years because if i were to relive nine and a half years again i wouldn't change a single thing there's so much i've learned and i had to accept that these are the lessons i'm going to take away from this part of my life and I'm going to use them and rebuild and transition somewhere else. Will life be the same in Edmonton? Definitely not. It's not. It's not. It's not London, England. But certainly isn't. It, <laughs> I, I I I've had to accept and appreciate the environment that I'm in. I have come to appreciate this city because of the opportunities that I hear and that have the opportunity to grow. There, there, there is opportunity for me as a professional to grow here. And it's taken me time to shift my perspective to understand that. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that, Pradeep. It's such a future forward mentality you have. There, there's nothing there indicating that you're dwelling on what life would still be like if you're back home. 
you're recognizing I'm here now and this is my life. Yeah. And now I need to think what I'm doing today and what I'm doing tomorrow. Not yesterday. Yesterday was London. Today's Edmonton. Tomorrow's Edmonton. What am I doing here now? So it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to pick up that bag, pack it up, and bring it over here and, and only think ahead. You know? You, you remind me so much of um, someone who embodies such soul. Like, you're so soulful, it seems. And I can't imagine for someone who's a national bodybuilder who needs to channel in that energy at the right time, how you tap into that. Do you feel like weightlifting and bodybuilding helps you become more of a relaxed individual? Just based off of our interactions we've had together, you know, I feel like I'm in a yoga room and you're you're about to do some guided meditation for me. That's how relaxed your aura is. I <laughs> oh, wow. It is. Uh, thank you. And I, I'll be honest, I've met bodybuilders. Mm. I've talked to bodybuilders. I don't know if it's an element of some of them who are not drug-free, <laughs> Who are oh, like just energy, like on, like just you know, it feels like you just gotta give him the hundred pound dumbbell and he's like right now, right? But then you don't have that, and I just want to know: as you, through the art of practicing bodybuilding, is your your mastery level of skill, is it helped you stay this more calm, or uh, where where's this where's this energy coming from? Is this something that you had to teach yourself? Has it always been there? I'm curious. One, thank you for the kind words. I don't know many who would say I have a calm aura. <laughs> Maybe they often people say I'm very intense. Mm. They say I'm very intense. Um, I can see that. It's um, I don't believe me training the way I do or bodybuilding has engendered a calmer state of being in different atmospheres. For me, I've learned and I've, I've grown to be a lot more present in the moment and appreciate this, my current surrounding. Like, for instance, I, it, I don't get the opportunity like I have now with you very often. It's eventually rare through, for me in my life to sit down so calmly and just chat and in a very relaxed fashion. This doesn't happen in my life. And so for me to have this opportunity, it does, but it's exceptionally rare. So for me, I am taking the opportunity to be very present now and I can just switch off so many different things in my head and just be here with you. That's why I am like that now. What did you need to do to do that? Just practice being present. Yeah. Like being, I've, I've had, I have a big um, issue with de-stressing. Because when this is over, when I take my Uber back to my flat, it's game on. Everything turns on. And I'm just go, 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 go. So for me, learning to de-stress has, has taken some time. Um, I'm very good at, in different spheres, turning things on, turning things off. So when I'm in a gym setting, certain things get turned off. And my, and my mentality of, now's the time to perform. There's nothing else going on in your head. Like, get your shit straight. We're here, to, we're here to do a job. The process, it begins now. And that's when I go, you know, 100%. That's really cool the way you put that. There's like all these switches that are on at the same time. And then when you're training, 
or when you're literally performing, I, I'd argue that right now we're in a very performant-esque setting. And it's allowed you to be like, okay, well, if I'm on, that's the only switch that needs to be on is me as a person and who I am and what I'm doing right now. All those other light switches need to go off. I'm not in those rooms anymore. When I train jujitsu, I feel the same way. I've probably said this on air before, but I'll say it again. When you go and do a particular task, if it's anything, you got to remember, you're you're going in there with with problems that are already arising in your day-to-day. It could be very minute problems. It could be, oh, I got to answer that email back. Okay, I got to remember to do that. It could be as big as, oh, man, I just, uh, you know, why some things are going on in my buddy's life and I really got to be there for him and I haven't. Okay, I got to make sure I'm there for him this weekend. This is little, Mm -hmm. the miniature things that keep coming in your head. But no matter what, when I train, I, I still try and do this as best as I can with everything else, but it works so effectively when I train is when I tell myself, Kenny, put your problems in your shoes. You know, I'm about to go train. I take off my shoes. I take my socks of problems. I wrap it in the sock. I put it in there and away I go. And I noticed, you know, when you say that, it reminds me. It's because I'm so dialed into what I'm doing that there's no excuses but to just do that one task. If I've got somebody about to rip my arm in half, I have to be so aware of what I need to do to get out and to end up on top again. And it's almost like that rush of excitement that comes into play because you know why you're there. You talked a lot about survival. We're big on survival on the podcast, right? And there's an element of surviving in in jujitsu for me is like I need to come out of this match pain-free and in one piece and hopefully and, and there's an element of I, I could argue that I dominated in one way, shape, or form to still have energy to go into the next match mm-hmm. or go into the next role, right? But it's it allows me to only keep that one switch on. And I find that when we, you, you made it in simple terms, just be present. Don't keep thinking of that email you have to send. Don't, when you're trying to have a conversation with someone, think about all the other things that you can just get to when it's done. And I think it's very easy to say that and everyone kind of has their own thing. Um, for you, I take it it's bodybuilding that helps you keep grounded. And for me, it's training jujitsu as, as, as often as I possibly can if, if my schedule allows for it. And uh, I'd love to know your perspective on like, do you think it needs to be, is there that it factor that comes into play with, with staying present? Does there need to be that one thing that just brings you back to reality? Or, or is, it a, is it different for everybody? I don't quite follow. Do you mean is is there should everyone have their it thing? Yeah, yeah. Like should everyone have a thing that allows them to be more present? You know, like it's just I notice, and I'll, I'll put it in another perspective. A lot of people will consume marijuana, cannabis, very often, maybe more often than they should, and they argue that this is what helps me deal with my stress. It's what helps me deal with my anxiety, whatever it is, whatever is making them feel like they're not present. But that, again, it's something recreational that's great, everything in moderation. But what if something like that was healthy for them, physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally, right? I'm not, if you want to smoke cannabis every day, sure, go ahead, it's fine. If you can still optimize to a high level, I know people who do that. And then on top of that, they stay fit. I, I'm arguing that other people, when they look at that escape, that maybe isn't a healthy escape, 
mm-hmm. right? It's overconsumption of having sex. It's overconsumption of, of, of any recreational drug. It's overconsumption of j- eating junk food. Mm-hmm. I just know, Pradeep, for me, because I decided to choose jujitsu as my, hey, this is what keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. I do a whole lot less of those other things sure. that are like candy to me. Right. And I'll only do them when I feel like I deserve it. Sure. I understand, I, I understand your question much better. Thank you for that, that, that second example. I will play devil's advocate and flip it yeah. and say, there are numerous men and women in my life, colleagues even, who have looked at my it thing, my gym training, and have looked at my consistency with it and almost obsessive mentality with it and say, you know what, that's unhealthy. I've been told my it thing, as as healthy as I deem it to be, even my objectives, I've been told that, you know what, what you do doesn't doesn't feel healthy. Like you, you, you're there breaking yourself every single time. Like you there, you push yourself so hard. Like it just can't be healthy for you mentally. Like you, you, you must be so exhausted. Like it can't help you for anything. So I've had, I've had people tell me that. And I think that's absolutely fine. Like their perspective is, is, is absolutely valid from their point of view. I can't tell somebody else that your perspective is wrong. Their own is very mature of you. their own perspective. And I've had to accept that. Like, you know what? You might not see it, but that's okay. I'm not going to die on this hill. I try to explain this to you. I think everyone ought to have their own it thing. It might not be um, health and fitness. For some people, it might be playing video games. If they need to just relax and and uh, just think of nothing. And for them, it's just like a little mini escape. Banter with their friends and like game a bit. Sure, do your thing. If that helps you feel grounded such that you can enter meetings or your work life a bit more relaxed sure do your thing you're not hurting anybody that's fine if it's walking your dog that's your it thing and you just want to listen to ambient music as your dog plays in the park that's fine that's your it thing um i would just hope that no matter what anyone chooses that it doesn't hurt anyone else and that it uh it helps them uh, de-stress in a healthy fashion where it doesn't uh, hurt themselves too. I really like that. That's a very, like I said, very mature of you to say, because so many times we could take our own experiences into play of what someone's doing. And because it might've hindered us in any way, shape or form, doesn't mean it's hindering the other person. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to ask you how you segueing into bodybuilding how you've best prepared for a bodybuilding physique competition. What We can start off with this. What do you wish you could have done in your first few competitions or any one of them that you know now that maybe you weren't doing at that time in preparation for your competition? I, great question. Really great question. I haven't I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, I wish I prioritized my sleep. I wish I would have slept more. That would have helped a lot in my progress to get in better condition, especially with recovery too. Recovery as well, yes. It would improve. It would have performed. It would have improved performance no matter what. 
I wish I would have dieted down longer or more smartly. That's what I wish. I didn't know any better and I at the time I loved my mentors at the time. I learned so much from them, but uh, I feel I could have pushed things a bit harder with regards to my conditioning and time in the gym such that I looked like this immensely great example on on stage of hard work and commitment and work ethic. That's what I wish I would have I, I would have changed. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that you know if you did everything you needed to do to look your absolute best that day. Where have you? Where was one of your competitions that made you feel like, like the, it was like almost the the most memorable one? And it was an element of a lot of what you did to prepare for it and how you felt that day. I just love to hear. I'm so new to this bodybuilding physique world, I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I had one of my employees um, who, who resigned. He doesn't work um, for, for me at Good Life at my location anymore. But I just, I could see so much dedication in him for his prep for his competition coming up he lived and breathed the element of wanting to just be in the best shape of his life so much that actually there were certain things that came second including his job where i was like listen man we gotta make sure like at the very minimum okay i respect i know competition time it is really the only thing you could think about i tried my best to help him Mm -hmm. manage his expectations better to be a little bit lower in my opinion, I think they were still quite high for him, and that was just our own challenge. That aside, he was just all he could think about at every second of every time, and he needed 16 weeks to prep. Sure enough, with all these COVID things happening, he wasn't too sure if he was going to go. Nine weeks out, they said, guys, we're doing the competition. Let's mm-hmm. go. So he refrained from signing up, and then he's like, okay, I have nine weeks to prepare for something that takes 16 weeks. So he stepped on the gas, and he did what he needed to do. Now, in your case... You know, tell us about that memorable time and then like why it stood out so much compared to every other competition you've done. Two things. One, the most memorable the most memorable time I've had on stage was probably my second ever show in London, England. And that's when I think they were closer to 450 or 500 people in the audience all cheering for me um that was amazing that's when i won i won my class um in my second show that was that was some like i've never felt so much support from people i didn't know that i won't forget that was that was lovely um second um and this is in optical order but i feel in terms of it being memorable because of the growth of me as an individual was in 2019 when I had my new mentor Jordan Peters and the it the bar was set so high in terms of expectation from him because he wants me to be my best he doesn't want to waste my time I don't want to waste his time I'm paying the man and he wants to see me deliver and so he's commanding a level out of me that I thought 
that's impossible. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, high. You, you are like, like I can't jump that high. Yeah. Like I can't jump. <laughs> and so that it's over the course of that 2019 prep, I learned so much about me as an individual as, as to what I can take, endure, and suffer to look the best. Um, it was, there were several challenges I had to overcome. It was how do I even better manage my performance at work? Because the last thing I let go of is my performance at work. That, that, is, I, that is priority. You know, for me, currently, bodybuilding doesn't pay me a cent. It doesn't. So many people might say, why do you even do it? Um, I do it because I'm passionate about it. But first and foremost, my work is the priority. That's what pays my bills. And so it was this constant bouncing act of, you want, you want to be the best in Alberta? Okay, you want to be the best in Canada? Guess what? Your work still is priority. That trumps everything. So across the spectrum, it was, it was this balancing act of meeting the expectations of myself and not letting down my mentor while also pursuing this demanding career. Hence, that process in 2019 for me was the most memorable because it was the most I've ever taken on in my life in terms of managing expectations was it draining yeah it was draining but did i succeed everywhere yeah <laughs> i succeeded everywhere you, you managed to juggle it all mm -hmm. right i take it that you were still performing to the highest ability in your work and then some and then you're preparing for one of the biggest bodybuilding competitions of your life yeah yeah how much do you find people should compete in anything? Like, I I want to know your stance on that. How much has it helped you from now being an official competitor, mm -hmm. right? I mean, at first, oh, okay, let's just do this to look good. Let's do it to feel yeah. good. Oh, this is yeah. nice. Learning about how to build up the body and gain lean mass and have chiseled abs all at the same time. What was that? Pradeep like compared to the Pradeep who now has competed. Mm -hmm. You know, you've put yourself out there. You needed to be the best in your age and weight class and everything else. How much has it helped you actually perform through work? Immensely. It, I feel the the older version of me, obviously much younger, naive, and didn't know any better. Um, the individual back in the day, early, early 20s, who was uh, in uni, clubbing, having fun, uh, it, because there wasn't the competitive aspect, there wasn't a deadline to me, because there wasn't the expectation to perform, it didn't always transcend into my university work. Now, because I have much higher expectations of myself, to perform and be at a certain level. I expect myself to be this good as, I, I, I forgot where I've, where I've said this, but people pull up random quotes of me sometimes in my DMs. Um, I, if this is my level of achievement today, 
this will normalize and say this is this is now normal for me when i used to think oh it's a high level of, of achievement for myself so what used to be here this is now normal for me and then now this race is far even higher so i increase that expectation because i i increase the competitive expectation that equally follows through in my work this is what we achieved last time okay now that's normalized let's achieve something better okay now let's try a little bit more what more can we do it is just this continually growing path on both parts of the spectrum and i feel my time and maturity as growth as a person has lent itself to that i like that point you made about you know setting the bar it reminds me of this ted talk i was watching it was, it was so I'm I'm a very visual learner and I like metaphors and that's why with what you said it makes me think of this. The gentleman said that our life is kind of like a bunch of rocks inside of a big jar, right? And in order for you to look at however many rocks are in there, you can you can distinguish that there's some really big rocks and there's some really little rocks. It goes back to when we first started talking about there's going to be the things that big rocks, hello laundry, taking after your family, your day-to-day job, those got to stay. There's all these other things that can go away. Those are the little rocks. So once you decide that you're going to put a really big, huge rock in there that's not going to go anywhere, it's naturally just going to replace the space in which the little rocks are holding in order for you to make it fit. So I can't imagine the level of sacrifices, the genuine sacrifices you needed to make to fit in competing for a bodybuilding competition. I want people to know and respect that. I'm sure there were sacrifices that happened. It just naturally needed to happen. What were some of those little rocks for you, Pradeep, where once you took that big, huge rock of competing, and I'm sure it was what you even thought about in your day-to-day job, and that was a switch that just kind of naturally stayed on. Maybe it was dimmer during the day, and it came right back on, you know, firing up with this fluorescent LED lighting Mm -hmm. as soon as 5 o'clock hit. You were ready to take ownership on on taking after that. What were the little rocks? Um, what did you replace that time and energy with? And why, looking back, was it so important to respect that there were going to be some things that needed to be replaced? One great visual reference. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was very nicely put by yourself, Kenny. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately... I've, when when it came down to me being low in energy and time wasn't in abundance, my bit of my social life had to take take a backseat. I couldn't spend as, as much time with my friends at the gym. I kind of banter and talk. Uh, I couldn't be at Nando's in stuffing my face with with, with chicken <laughs> like I could or peri peri fries. I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't be out and about going late night drives, just chilling, relaxing. Like I had to understand that. Thankfully, I have friends who know why I do this and they respect me enough to not get their feelings hurt. That like they understand I'm competitive by nature and that they are willing to appreciate the sacrifices I have to make. And I might not be able to give them as much time, but they also understand he's doing this for a reason and I'm going I'm going to support him along the way. And so part of my social life had to take a backseat. Uh, do I feel bad about it? Not really. Simply because 
my my time was very precious to then perform at work and outside of work within bodybuilding. Um, so my social life took, took a bit of a backseat. My bedtime had to be on point, um, like stalling on social media, no posting, none of that. Um, it, just a little bit of distractions here and there. Uh, I'm not saying having friends is a distraction by any means, but it's about just managing that time with them. Uh, again, like I've said before, the time management skills I had to improve through this journey was was the, one of the biggest things I've learned. Yeah, wow, that's it's very honest, and it goes back to your point we've made, I believe, prior to coming on air was, you know, it's it's we were talking a little bit about friendship and recognizing that there's a true level of acceptance that comes into play. You know, when my brother and I were speaking, we were in Abu Dhabi and he's just like talking to me about the sacrifices he's had to make in his UFC debut and in the lead up to the past two years when he chose that this is it. This is only it. This is what I'm going to make my money off of. This is what's going to pay my bills. This is me putting my life on the line. And very similar to you, Pradeep, he said, you know what, man? He's like, you don't think I miss once a week hanging out with my friends and catching up? He's like, that's the first thing that had to go. Because what I'm putting my body through requires such a higher level of rest that includes more sleep, um, more more time to sit down because I'm like my body is is my job. You know, I have to be very carefully aware of, you know, where and how I'm moving because I have to preserve it for Mm -hmm. for for the level of athleticism that I'm bringing to the table when I train. So it's just. It's really unique to respectfully recognize that if you have good enough friends that are like, hey, man, I get it. I think that's a tough thing about relationships, right? Is I think that's a whole other conversation where it's yeah. like, that's when it becomes even tougher. You know, to find that right person who's like, hey, I get it. You know, it becomes yeah. a different relationship yeah. at that point because you are forced in the sport you're choosing. Not even forced, but it just comes with the territory. It's a very selfish thing to do to put yourself out there and, and be almost naked to showcase what you've done to optimize your body it's selfish but it's beautiful because there's so much vulnerability at play Mm -hmm. there's hey look at me and look what i've done to focus fully on myself mentally and physically to be here today to flex and smile in front of an audience of 500 people or to potentially fight in front of all your loved ones and know that no matter what happens you know, this is the best possible version of myself right now. And win or lose, this is what I'm showcasing. And I'm okay to go so hard into it. I'll, 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 I'll die trying, mm-hmm. you know, because you recognize that it was worth all those sacrifices to mm-hmm. be there. One, with, with your brother's fighting career, has he ever told you that, yes, I, I realize I am, what I'm doing is quite selfish? Big time. It's yeah. it's one of our, it is the, <laughs> it is the theme around what we talk about when he prepares for a fight or does what he does. It's yeah. it's why there's been. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. Like such a challenge in balancing and being there for others because his career choice and what he does is is very self gratifying. As a fighter, yeah, it's me, 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 even in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have your team, but you're there to think about, okay, well, what am I doing today that's going to make me a better fighter? Yeah, It was really interesting one day where he's like, man, 
because one of my training partners camps and I was like, I debated whether or not I should go that day because maybe I could have used a rest day, but I went and I'm really glad I went because even in that practice that was servicing his training partner, because it was a camp around building him up to prepare for a fighter, he learned something. He got to go in there and be like, oh, I didn't expect to learn something, but ooh, I'm going to add that into my toolbox. And you're, you're constantly, you have to think about yourself. And it sometimes does come at the, at the detriment of everything else going on the wayside. And you, you have to recognize that that's just the life you're living right now. Yeah, it, one, I, I have to agree, and, and I, I'm sure anyone who has a partner and has someone who com, ha, is competitive in this sport, it is very selfish. There is, it's, it, it, I have nothing else to say. It, I know that what I do is selfish, but it is selfish for a period of time. It is a period of time where it's very selfish with respect to the time required to meet the end goal. Um, is this the nature of the beast? There's no two ways about it. But in that same fashion, it is a luxury to say, I am going to diet down. It is a luxury to say, I'm choosing not to eat. Because can you imagine, there are millions of people outside of our, between your circle and my circle, outside of our circle, who we don't, who we don't even know, who are saying, where's my next meal? I need to find food to eat. Versus, I am saying, and many other competitors are saying, I'm choosing not to eat. So it's a luxury to, I've, I mean, hence why I'm, I'm, I always have to put things into perspective. It is a luxury to be dieting down and to get into condition, whether it's for an MMA fight, like your brother, or for myself and other competitors to step on stage to look our, our best, so to speak. It's a luxury. Um, at the same time, it's also very selfish. And I think accepting that, that for a period of time, it will be like this, is something we all need to come to terms with, to some degree. It's so true. And it's, it's so funny when you mention that, because you said something there that reminds me so much of how, <laughs> when, you, when you set the date for the comp, everything changes mm -hmm. like that. And it reminds me so much of like, in comparison, you've got the one temple, you know, Gurdwara, or it's a place of worship, whoever's religious, non-religious in any sense, it can be a place where the community comes together. Let's just say that place is vacant. No one ever goes. Nobody ever goes. Not a single person shows up. Uh, there might still be an expectation or a level of, you got to keep the place clean. Every once in a while, there might be a person that comes in or out. Then you compare that temple to the one where every damn day there's going to be people showing up. It is on the corner of the street where 40,000 cars come passing by. Very high traffic, very high energy. Everyone always goes. It's got a good reputation and it always needs to have its lights on. Mm -hmm. Now, in comparison to like the human level and how we perform and how we naturally become wired to make decisions... It's funny how if I relate both those temple concepts to a person who decides to compete, you know, talking about how like the benefits associated with that. Once we have a day where we know we need to show up, there's people who are going to be watching. There's uh, going to be some sort of result oriented metric associated with from people watching and judges critiquing. There could be an opportunity to be the best version of myself, to be the most outstanding community center in Edmonton. Now the 
the reality is we're going to want to clean up and we're going to want to keep those lights on and we're going to want to do everything we can so people keep showing up. Mm-hmm. But now if we know that there's no competition happening, mm-hmm. there's not something we got to look forward to. Only one or two people come a week. Oh, and one or two people come a week. Okay, that's when I'll maybe do a little bit of a cleanup. I'll, I'll make some roti. I'll make some mm-hmm. dal, you know, just for one, two people. No big deal. We're not going to bring the whole family and everyone together to, to orchestrate something because at that point, there's nothing to show anybody. And I think to me, if you're on the same page with me here, Pradeep, I get so excited at telling the world that I have a competition show to, to, to show up for mm-hmm. because it makes me that much more dialed into not eating junk food, not going out, not drinking, being focused on thinking about that and how I'm going to look and perform because I know now more people know and more people are going to show up. And that's what makes me feel like I'm that temple with the lights on all the time. And I have to be very aware of how I'm going to make those decisions. That's really interesting. Um, When you, because I know almost nothing about jiu-jitsu, except when Joe Rogan screams it on on telly. um, (laughs) When, are there tiers to to jiu-jitsu, like different belts? Big time, yeah. Can people come and watch you in that final like sparring session to get your belt? Can people see that? Yes, they can. Pre-COVID, okay. they could. Sure. Uh, in the lead-up, so so say, for instance, will you tell individuals in three weeks' time, you can come watch me? Has that, Have you said that before? I did in my Taekwondo journey okay. because it was a very... There was this element of testing associated with you need to show up on this day and you need to do this, this, and this, and this. You need to show me this many moves. You need to do this kata. You need to do X amount of self-defense moves. It was a show, mm-hmm. you know. In jiu-jitsu, I'd argue, depending on what gym you're in, depending on what coach you have, you just get rewarded the belt based off of your uh, performance and attitude and how you've been showing up. Sometimes even at a competition, you win this grand first place mm-hmm. uh position from mm-hmm. your bracket sure. sometimes people have been blessed with the opportunity of okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give you your black belt after right. winning such a large studious competition gotcha. kind of comes like unexpectedly understood so it seems to me that you relish telling people that hey on this date this is going to happen and correct me if i'm wrong because more people know about it you therefore have the expectation of really dialing in Oh, I there eat it more up. eyes on you. I, I eat it up. Yeah, okay. I've always yeah, that's bang on. What I find interesting is over over the years, I have stopped relishing people looking at me when I'm 16, 12, three, two weeks out. I feel that when no one's looking at me, it's when it, it most counts for me because I can get the work done 16 weeks out. It's lovely to let people know, hey, I'm competing here. Yeah, if you want to show up, show up. It's fine. Um, if you're interested in supporting me, come through. And if you do, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to show up. It means a lot to me because everyone's time is valuable. That's fine. Um, even say, for instance, um, I think almost a week and a half ago, I said on social because the um, CPA, Canadian Physique Alliance, had mentioned shows for 2021 ahead of schedule. And the next show I'm competing at 
is in midsummer and i just did the math it's 34 weeks out and i just said on social hey 34 weeks why did i do that i didn't ask you for attention i'm just letting people know that hey the work starts well before 16 weeks the work starts before 20 30 weeks the work starts before you even know something is going on i i mean i i'm someone who believes the work big and probably you yourself within jiu jitsu as well or even your brother i'd love to hear your your brother's thoughts on this too the work begins when no lights are flashing in your face i love when that. no one's chanting your name when your name isn't in lights when there're no cameras taking your picture when there're no video cameras televising you live across the world from Abu Dhabi that's the real work the the there's still work that no and, one sees but no one sees so for me it's just i i want more people to look at the work when my name isn't in flashing lights this is the real work it when it's dark it's dingy it's raining it's cold no matter what it is and we're still getting it done that's 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 where i think the eyes ought to be at and not at that very final end end result that's huge it's what we i love i get it from my brother there's no such thing as a fight camp it's Yeah, there's fight camp, sure. There's leading up to the 12 to 16 weeks you need a prep. Yeah, certain things get a lot more fine-tuned. There's that day you know you need to cut a certain amount of weight. There's that there's there's that threshold that you that you reach really high to and then you taper down. But guess what? When there's no fight camp and the fight's over, you give yourself a little bit of time and now you're back on the high horse. It's not this, "Oh, okay, I'm just not going to train for 6 months. When I got another fight coming up, I'm going to train." You're always training. Mm-hmm. You know, you got big projects you have to work on at work. When there's no more projects and it's slowing down, what are you doing? You're looking for more. That's your training time. Yeah. That's you actively searching to improve your skills and mm-hmm. and connect with people. Same thing with athletes. You're still showing up. There might be certain moments off season where you recognize there's a weakness that you have that needs to improve and turn into a strength it just becomes the focus mm-hmm. i think it's a beautiful part about mma fighters is like mixed martial arts there's so much of them there's a melting pot of elements of the art of combat in there that you can never say that you're the absolute best at every single one of those things because you're truly testing your body to the limits against another person with being able to do anything at any given moment besides hitting them in the can. Mm-hmm. So how much can you really train? It's limitless. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so, even with the human body of bodybuilding, there's so much aspects to to the way you train that are involved with you being able to keep that switch on mm-hmm. at all times. Even yeah, I mean I 100% agree with you. The, it should be said that obviously when you aren't in go 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 mode that life always deserves some balance oh you know, totally you know have yeah. your balance enjoy time with your family loved ones social life enjoy life you know life's too short to just think you are a machine that yes, goes that absolutely. goes that goes without saying i'm glad you um, said that it's also immensely good for mental health uh, so i'm i'm happy we're on that same page what and if if i would just take this a one wonderful example i think from from what i've seen at work is when the work was light and and 
Um, I'll leave this colleague's name out of this podcast, but I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me saying what she had achieved. When the work was lighter on, on her end, she went out of her way to get her, her agile project manager certification. It wasn't asked by the company. She just went and did it because the work was lighter. And that's just someone developing their skills to add more value to their daily workplace and to improve and grow within the company. Yeah. That like that that's amazing. It wasn't oh, you know what, there's there's not as much project coming in. I'll take a back seat. There's no problem taking a back seat and relaxing. I think everyone deserves to relax a bit. That's fine. But this wonderful woman decided to go out out of her way, not being asked, get a different project management certification with an agile and I think that's amazing. And through that same factor, if we look at it within your brother's training or within my bodybuilding in the off season, it's for me improving my my mobility, in getting under getting on the table and seeing my chiropractor, uh, um, Doctor Niz, or, yeah. or seeing my uh, deep tissue specialist Jose at at Purple Physiotherapy, or seeing Raj and getting dry needling at at physiotherapy. You know that that's just part of the work that is required to be better. It strikes me as there's two fundamental aspects of things we're doing as athletes or as like optimizing ourselves as humans and it's you laid it out if i could put in a spark notes you're either in a doer mentality or you're in a learning mentality and i find your colleague recognized and lives and breathes that she was going steadfast in doing what she's great at then it came to a point where it slowed down and she found the glorious opportunity to now learn something to fill in certain gaps yeah and that's beautiful that's something where I find when I finished university, I was scared, Pradeep, to, to recognize that, yeah, I was 16 years in school, 12 years in grade school, now four years in a degree. I should feel like I am so above this earth and I know something. Mm-hmm. You know the honest truth? I felt like I knew nothing. I felt like I came out with a commerce degree with this... Yeah just this like foundation it's like i came out of it expecting that i should learn how to build a house Mm -hmm. but all i know how to do after i graduated was digging the foundation of what the basement level of deepness looks like that's it but the something that was beautiful is that i recognize okay i not only was in a state where i was doing school and i was learning i now have to find what it is I do want to learn more of and what it is that I can do. What is it that I do know I'm capable of doing? And that was just my love and my expertise in in sales and in relationships. And I chose that that's what I'm going to do. But now what I'm going to learn is, you know, how to at that time effectively strategize a marketing campaign. Okay, well, let's listen to podcasts from CEOs and Fortune 500 guests who are doing that. That's when Lewis Howes came into my mind. That's when, you know, we have Tim Ferriss, these type of legends of podcasters who are at that time and still to this day, I think, are where I want to eventually be. I want to replace them. But again, thinking that, Mm -hmm. what do I need to learn? What do I need to do? Those are two things that I find anyone who's listening to this 
needs to have a balance of both with the reality of still being able to serve yourself, serve your friends and, and, and be there for other people. You're, you're, you're very correct, Kenny. The either you are doing or you're learning. And I think your aspirations are beautiful. It's Thanks, amazing to see that you have a clear vision as to where you want to try to go. That in itself can help you start learning and start doing. Because now we say, wait, this is what Lewis Howes does. This is what Gary Vaynerchuk does. And so therefore, what do I need to have within my ecosystem to engender at least 1% of their success. Let's start with 1%. Yeah. Is that is 1% achievable? Okay, great. What you're doing now here, I think is is beautiful. Thank it's you. Beautiful. You're already well above regarding many other podcasts I've I've seen. And this goes to show that you care about the execution of the work. So already you're well past the 1% of meeting the Lewis House kind of quality of work. So hats off to you. That means a lot, man. Um, so you are here learning and you're doing because you understand that that's part of the end goal as to where you want to be. You have that vision. Um, and, I, and, I, and I really hope many people watching this start to maybe do a bit less daydreaming and a bit more like day living it's a i think it's great to daydream it's fine but what about just trying to stop daydreaming and starting to actually living and working in a certain fashion such that that daydream is now this reality in front of you i'm so thankful you said that because i was literally talking to my friend about this yesterday and i, I say this a lot if we expected our first podcast episode to turn out like this, you know, in a studio with the lights, with the, let's just call it clean audio, with the equipment we invested in, we never would even be here. Mm -hmm. And it's so important, I think, even from the fitness perspective too, Pradeep, is people will look at you and then they'll be like, I want to be a bodybuilder, but I don't look like that. But you do this too, is you're documenting the journey. You're showing and explaining. And even now, man, I love it. I acknowledge you for just letting people know that. Just start. You know, our first episode was done with a little tiny little Yeti mic in the middle of the table that kept picking off noise. <laughs> nice. Nice. And tons of people were like, oh man, the audio is a little bit weird. You got to fix it. We knew that. Yeah. We recognize it. We were in a little room in Omid's work that was all white and looked like it was an interrogation center. <laughs> like, <laughs> like one little tiny table and like four of us in there. Like we knew it was it was in such a dodgy looking commercial yeah. building. Yeah. But hey, you know what? We knew it. And we knew we weren't going to be in there forever, but we're showing up. Just like someone who's 50 pounds overweight and they want to get into bodybuilding, guess what? Go to the gym. Don't work out. Just go. Go every day. Yeah. Go on the treadmill for five minutes and walk out. Just get used to starting. Yeah. Just get used to the habituation of, I'm going to just show up and I got to get used to being here. Then, okay, go to the machines. Try out uh, externally rotated pull press, right? Just uh, on the pull machine. Okay, great. 
Now we have progression in place. You got used to that movement. Now we could get you on a barbell. Now we could get you doing dumbbells. Now we're, we're focusing on core activation. But there's levels to this shit with everything. I love sitting down with a client and being like, listen, you're a white belt in the gym today, but I love that you started. And we're going to make you feel like a black belt by the time you're done with me. Or at the very least, you know, if you don't want to put that much time commitment, I'm going to get you to blue. And at that point on, you might find other coaches or you might find your own thing and do your stuff. But progressions, I mean, we're a little bit over time and I wanted to talk about this from like a periodization perspective, but like, do you have another 10 minutes? Sure. You do? Okay, awesome. Yeah. 10 minutes, thank you. I know right now you're thinking, okay, I got to... Honestly, I'm not. I, I've, lost, <laughs> okay, I've lost track of time. I have no idea what time it No, is. I appreciate it. We're now and a half in right now. Wow. Right. Yeah, we're that, going. That flew. That absolutely <laughs> yeah. flew. Are you still good for time? I'm good for time. Awesome, man. I wanted to talk about from what I'm learning right now, and it's awesome because Good Life recently, on top of the education I've been doing, they've revamped their entire process on periodizing for clientele. It used to be a very cookie-cutter approach. Here's burn, here's build, here's strength, here's your cardio. Here's what we're going to do. Phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. Well, phase five, we'll mix it all together. Now it's down to a science. It's taking skill acquisition. Initially, let's get you to focus on motor pattern movement. Let's get you to understand and respect all six phases of movement. Your push, your pull, your hinge, your squat, your deadlift. Let's take these elements and let's perfect the movement. From there, let's get you into some linear periodization, right? Let's increase the rep load. Let's increase the sets. Let's eventually get into the incremental progression of volume and intensity, right? This is where you're going to start seeing yourself building effective strength, right? But we first need to learn how to move. Being a white belt sucks, right? For the beginning, it's not going to be fun. Because I'm, te I'm teaching you how to move your body effectively. It might not be exciting, but this is what you need. This is the prerequisite you need before we start making this stuff look fun. And then from there, you get in a wave loaded, you get in a concurrent, you get into some advanced specialization programming where it's a mix of everything. From your perspective, you know, filling in the holes or what you've done, for a bodybuilder starting off, where do you begin in the gym what does even the structure of a workout look like for someone who wants to you know the, the typical i want to look chiseled and i want i want to have my muscle i want to I want, I want to get everything pumped up i want i want to have the six pack what's a typical cookie cutter program you'd give someone one i i don't do cookie cutter good uh i i don't believe anyone deserves cookie cutter not so one in the same as for everybody Everyone's starting point and everyone's ability to acquire skills and the rate at which they acquire skills, as, as you lovely, lovely have, have put it, skill acquisition. Everyone's ability for, for skill acquisition is different. And so for me, it's understanding what are they currently able to do? Like what, like, like what, what is their history? Like have you ever stepped in the gym or have you done a couple of years of training, like proper hard training? Or have you kind of have a half-assed it and gone in and out and don't quite know what you're doing because you didn't quite see results? Like, like what is it? That might determine how long yeah. that skill acquisition period will be for. 100%. And say, for instance, you might be someone might believe 
that they know how to squat, but they have learned to squat with some kind of minor dysfunction. And they think, oh, this is, this is it's normal for my lower back to hurt when I go ass to grass uh, because I have to, I have to do full ROM and my lower back has to hurt, only then I'll know I'm doing full ROM. They might think that's normal. So it's, it's understanding where has someone actually begun? Do we rebuild habits? Do we look at poor habits? And then start to improve that progression. Because within the sport of bodybuilding, it's about longevity. You want longevity to continue to pursue the sport and not be married to any specific camp and not be emotionally attached to movements. Because just because you might see someone on social or in the magazine or your favorite Instagram model performs that movement, it works great for them. But does it really work great for you or me or somebody else? Like we have no idea. So it's it's very hard to mimic movements. It's it's what is best suited for your physique and your structure, and then start building those skills and learning. Because at the end of the day, we want audiences to build the tools to be better independent athletes who feel confident in the gym and out the gym or within bodybuilding it's about building those tools so skill acquisition comes at a different rate for different different people i believe i love that it it shows how you're so respectful of customization and you recognize how one approach can be very different from another person's. They may have the same goal, but very different lifestyles, mm-hmm. right? They both may want to lose 30 pounds and look fit, but one is expecting a granddaughter and the other drives in a vehicle 16 to 20 hours a day in their truck. Very different lifestyles. And I love that you mentioned that because throughout the explanation of why someone's doing something, I've been trying to take more notice of that, especially when clients, if I don't do it, they're like, why am I doing this? I bring it back. Mm-hmm. You know, with one client I was working with in particular, we're working on taking a medicine ball and we are doing hip hinge movement and doing an explosive movement going forward, right? So if you could visualize that, we have the medicine ball in the middle, hip hinge, it's almost like a anterior loaded Romanian deadlift. But then now what we're going to do is progression wise, once they just got the hang of that hinge, I then progressed her towards, okay, now let's take the medicine ball and let's with your hip explosivity, drive up and forward. And now you're back in tightening up your glutes, chest is out, everything's straight, and you pass me the medicine ball. Can you visualize that? Yeah. So now, okay, she's doing it. She doesn't know why. I told her, when your granddaughter is coming and she's running towards you, here it is. This is what we're practicing. We're practicing her coming your way. You're going to dip down. You're going to pick up your granddaughter and you're going to send her up in the air. And you know, one of the biggest things she told me when we sat down in our goal setting conversation is she said, I want to play with my grandchildren pain-free. And that there stuck to me so heavily because it made me recognize. And I like doing this with clients. So I'm like, show me how you do it. That she's, you know, rounded spine, going down, coming back up. Ooh, I feel like I pulled something. 
It was based off the way she was moving, but also not understanding how she should be moving when playing in that position. And I say that because you have to be so aware of how you're progressing somebody as well as having it make sense for them. It's not just about looking good. It's about applying that movement in your life. One, um, I think it's wonderful how you have tailored it to that specific client. The fact that she wants to play with, with her granddaughter. It makes it exciting for like, her. That's like her yeah, motivation, um, right? Th- I, that's what I get kind of emotional too. Is this, is this, that's what they want to be doing. Like that is, that's what they want to play with their granddaughter. They don't necessarily care about a PR or PB. They just want to live a happier life. That is beautiful for me. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Because <laughs> no, of that's that. fine. Um, hold on, where were we? You were saying... Well, I, I just kind of... You know what I want to tailor it to, just so you get mm-hmm. an idea. And I know I kind of went off track there with what you were saying. When you're customizing a program for somebody, you got three things going on, in my opinion, from what I'm seeing. And I want to know because you're... Picture you're a specialist talking to a generalist, mm-hmm. right? I'm very much so. I just try to digest and absorb a lot of different things, what good life is showing me, what certain things I'm learning in my strength and conditioning program. You have your main lifts. Your main lifts is what you're going to do to get stronger at getting that PR, let's say, right? Those are those five big main lifts. And then, okay, now you have supplements. Your supplementations that are going to help you make whatever that main lift is stronger. Now you have your accessories, your high rep counts, everything that you're doing with the isolated movement, right? You're, you're isolating the bicep curls on uh, an easy bar. That's mm-hmm. going to help you, uh, you know, load up and pump out your biceps. So that way you're going to have a stronger bench press, you know, so something that will help facilitate whatever main lift you're doing that day. This is the mix of bodybuilding and powerlifting, kind of, you know, both nuances coming together. If that's how I see it, what is just a very strict bodybuilding program look like? Is there a lot of focus on those main lifts or is it just a lot of isolated movements? We're not trying to do compound. We're just trying to make certain elements of our body mm-hmm. fill up, look defined, look chiseled because that's really the focus. There are so many different ways to meet this end goal. It's insane. There, there's no, um, I, I think the, there might be the misconception of looking at not doing heavier movements or specific, or maybe do a lot more isolation movements because of bodybuilding. High reps, high reps. High yeah, reps. I, think, I think that's what the misconception is. Um, what I've come to learn over the years, and, and including now who's taught me a lot, my, and my mentor who's taught me a fair bit, is that a stronger muscle is going to be a bigger muscle. It, it's going to get there as long as certain prerequisites are met. And specifically becoming just purely stronger and just saying, I want to increase this lift, I think is a complete different endeavor to saying, I want to build and grow muscle and this physique. So what my, um, how my philosophy has changed over time uh, with mentorship is that becoming stronger across a variety of rep ranges is what has facilitated my body and several of my clients' physiques to look their best. 
being stronger across a multitude of, of rep ranges, across different movements that are specific for the individual to meet said end objective. So you, you're, you like the variety of changing up the frequency of how many rep ranges are at play then, Would, uh, dependent on the different type of body part you're working. This is very, this is very different. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes and no. Um, let me give you an example. Say, for instance, getting getting stronger across the dif different kinds of rep ranges. So, say, for instance, if we look at um, the hack squat, let's get stronger between the seven to eight rep range and really make sure that eighth or maybe ninth rep is almost to failure. Like, you got to be struggling for that last rep. It's your rep in reserve right there. Right. Then let's move over to a rep range between... 15 to 20. You know what? Those 15 to 20 reps, you better be calling for help kind of deal. Really be struggling through that. It's about really getting those effective reps in and asking your body to get as to use as much of those fibers as possible. So getting so just because something says 15 to 20 reps doesn't mean it you just cruise through it. Hell no. My 15 to 20 reps, I, I hate. I hate it's never a time for me to relax. It is it is the most taxing thing possible. You want to be working hard and get stronger across all rep ranges. There's no problem being strong across all rep ranges. It's never meant to be a, a, a walk in the park, at least from my perspective. Um, and it's work. Yes, yeah, it's, it's work and it's it's hard work. It's hard work and it's, you know, I, I just, I just believe being strong, getting stronger, when your physique, when you try to get stronger in the gym, your physique just looks much better. Uh, what, what do you think from, from what you've seen from experience? I've definitely seen how much more it dials someone in to very heavily focus on that movement it, they 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 really get into that primal state of knowing that okay this isn't just me lifting until i feel like i'm done mm -hmm. until oh, okay i'll go for 10 and i'll half ass the other three like 15 to 20 there's a lot of dialing that needs to happen and if we respectfully need to bring the weight down and increase the tempo and feel every single muscle contraction then let's do so so I, I look at that where I've just been playing with a lot of just if, if you can look at what my science is to how I'm structuring my programs is are there two, three different rep ranges at play? There's the one where we're going to do the main lift. Mostly it will be in the beginning. Sometimes it'll be in the middle or the end, depending on how I stage the day or how I stage whatever that person's program is in on that time. That's going to be three to six reps. It's going to be very minimal. Then there's going to be the supplements. We'll add that in there. I will do, it's a, again, a very similar movement that is from the main, but now it's going to be done 10 to 12 reps. It's going to be done a whole lot more. Then, okay, the accessories. That's where I will go 15 to 20. So how I structure it is I'm like, I like the idea of, uh, that muscle hypertrophy kicking in and we're going to go a high rep range and feel like the blood is rushing through that particular part of the body at the very end. Mm -hmm. And I see how taxing that can be. Yeah. What, I, what I've, do you prescribe the notion that 
Um, do you prescribe to the notion that the you said that the isolation movements that you place in the end are generally higher rep, like fifteen to twenty? Higher to, rep range, yeah. Do you do you ever prescribe with those isolation movements? Say, for instance, it'll be um, a bicep curl mm -hmm. or a leg extension. Do you ever prescribe something where it's seven to eight and have people really get stronger within that rep range as well? I've seen that happen personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where I might just break down some limitations of the movement, right? Like that's where I'm going to add bands. Mm -hmm. I'm going to add, um, let's say for the bicep curl, we're going to do it at 90 degrees. We're going to go here. We're going to go high and we're going to come back. But then now what I'm going to do is I'm going to add resistance. Mm -hmm. Keep both my fingers on the top. And here you go. You got to push through. You got to push through. And I want you to go slow. Mm -hmm. I want it to last as long as you would do it 15 right. to 20 times. But you're doing it seven reps and you're feeling every little inch. And that sucks. Right. You know? So, yeah, definitely. I agree. There's different frequencies. I just look at it humbly as I'm not as experienced in the body sculpting realm of mm -hmm. training. I think that's another big reason why I wanted you here today to just like talk about even for me if there's some other strategies or for listeners of ways in which someone can really benefit in, yeah, let's build strength. Oh, you're a jujitsu athlete? You, you should be deadlifting. You should be squatting. You should be doing these pull movements. Oh, but you also want to make those biceps mm -hmm. look big. Okay, well, add this into your workout at the end. Again, it's so, back to your point, it's so customized. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. But it'd be really neat for you to conclude just like certain fun ways of like building more hypertrophy and just getting more of a pump and getting more results mm -hmm. as opposed to someone being like, man, I keep doing my three sets of 10 of biceps every damn day and they're not getting any bigger. <laughs> I love this alter ego voice. <laughs> this alter ego voice should just be become a meme or something. Yeah. I don't know what it should be. Where it's amazing. I don't, don't stop it. Thanks, um, yeah. So I, the, the most of the progress I have seen clients make, including myself has been when programming doesn't change as much it they aren't necessarily emotionally attached to a movement if it stalls it gets changed out we understand why it stalls getting stronger between different rep ranges it can be three to four seven to eight seven to nine that, that lower rep range getting stronger between the higher rep ranges as well um, 11, 11 to 15 15 to 20 it, getting stronger at different points in the range and really working hard where those last couple of reps are flipping tough. You have to be commanding something inside inside yourself to say, now the work begins. It's tough, but I have to complete this as long as the prerequisites are met of execution first and then effort. It'll yeah. always be execution first, your form and execution and, and understanding what is your range of motion for that specific objective and your physique, and then applying effort, hauling load and weight. After that, it is the free, how frequently can you train said muscle group? That frequency is going to depend on the volume or how, like, just your work capacity for that specific session. So, for me, it's, it's come down to how frequently I can train it 
the more times I can train it, the more opportunity I can give it to grow as long as I'm training, I'm eating, I'm sleeping, I'm recovering, getting all the jazz done, as well as working hard in the gym and prioritizing recovery. So it's, it's, it's as much as the, the, the gym goer might say, yo, bro, I'm doing three sets of 10 every time my biceps aren't growing. Well, maybe you have to ought to look at how are you training? Why are you married to these three sets of 10? Um, what aren't you doing? And if you are doing, if you are fulfilling those prerequisites, what else have you not met outside of this system? There are different things in play. Um, you might have someone who really loves to train, but their time outside of training is so poorly managed that it doesn't facilitate what's inside. And then vice, that, the same thing happens vice versa. People have this lovely time outside of training where they're relaxed, calm, chilled, but they're also relaxed, calm, chilled while they're training. Yes. Right? So it's, it's, it's managing both in and outside of these ecosystems. That's very well put. Begs me to ask, when do you feel like the client is ready to now have a new program? Like, I want to ask that very much so personally. Mm -hmm. I personally, as a trainer, struggle sometimes in identifying what are going to be some tangibles I need to be aware of to start changing things. Let's face it. There's boredom. Oh, we keep doing the same thing over and over mm. and over and over again. And then there's, okay, they just reached their max threshold. Mm -hmm. This is as high as this PR is going to get right now. And I understand wave loaded wise, okay, let's just go down into the loading and let's, okay, let's bike it back up. However, is there some tangibles you can explain for other fitness professionals out there listening? Hey, even just for me, I'm very curious. What are some things you're aware of when you're ready to then change? Because you made a good point early on of constantly getting those reps in. And I really do look at it like, don't just look at the day. Look at the week, the month. Oh, you did 1,000 reps total in this period of biceps? Wow, what a difference compared to maybe what you would have done 500 times, mm -hmm. right? You are, you, are, you are breaking away those muscle tissues a whole lot more. It's just like you're, you're getting your reps in. Now, when do you know you're aware of making the changes? I think you, you very much hit, hit two things on the head here. I don't believe boredom is a reason to change a program. Shouldn't be. One, why is there boredom? Like, is it, do you just not feel motivated enough to get the work done? So I don't think boredom should be a reason to change programming. I think when stalling on lifts, like your... Like this is, at this point in time, you can't progress, you can't adapt to, you, you, you can't progressively overload, you can't adapt to anything more. You just can't adapt and or push this movement anymore. That's the time I think to reassess and understand, right, what are the reasons why? If they're fulfilling all these prerequisites and they really can't progress this anymore, then we start to change movements. Or if you want to go ahead and deload, try that and then, you know, come back again. But when the movement just can't be progressed anymore, it's ought to sometimes worth saying, all right, we're going to take this in the back seat and we'll put something else in front of there that will help you objective. That's when I think changing the programming makes sense. At the same time, also, also note that the amount of stress someone intakes 
whether it be in the gym, outside the gym, also dictates to their progress within that said program. It's, it's, you know, you might be having such a stressful week at work or life or anything outside of, 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 of your gym that when you come into your training, lists just don't progress. So it's understanding, right, have you actually stalled on this or have you, is there something else going on? So there's a lot of conversations to be had here, uh, but I agree with you. Um, you know, it's, it's about minor adjustments and just continually keeping that progress going. You hit it right on the head there because it brought me back to a very special point you made earlier on about the level of focus someone is bringing into the gym based off of how much that compares mm-hmm. to their focus outside. Mm-hmm. We as trainers and, and competitors only have so much control over what we can do with our clients when they're in front of us. Mm-hmm. What they do outside, those changes they need to make, how are they getting done? And what are they doing to be dialed in the sessions? It's huge what you said, man, because like, yeah, maybe the person's not going to be able to lift up that much weight that you originally anticipated because they just, you know, something personally happened to them today. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not as dialed in. Okay, then you got to quickly think on your feet. Yeah. As that person's trainer, like, okay, maybe we won't, maybe we won't go 5% increase today. Also, it's worthwhile saying, and this comes from my personal experience, and hence why I, I preach this a lot. If you are getting to be injured, within specific programming parameters Mm -hmm. and say for instance you continually progress your lifts and there's no there's no aches or pains in your joints no tendonitis xyz but then you start to see niggles come around something's aching you got to spend like 15 20 minutes on a foam roller or if you feel injuries are slowly creeping up on you maybe then it's also time to change movements you can't uh, you can't be emotionally attached to the front squat because it's always helped you. There are other ways to grow your quads. There are other ways to grow your glutes or your upper back or whatever it might be. Not being emotionally attached to movements can also help a lot negate injuries. It's so true. I couldn't agree more. Everything that you've said, Pradeep, I wanna, I wanna take the opportunity and chance to acknowledge you when I think of a quote, when I did Taekwondo, it stands out. It was the black belt quote associated with receiving your, 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 your honor of getting a black belt. And it was always up on a board on a wall. And right underneath it said, from I believe seven habits of highly effective people, it said lead by example with energy and excellence. And I find, I hope, and I know I could see in front of me today, you embody that to the fullest degree. You know, you, you not only show up, but you live and breathe everything that you're putting out there. And you remind me so much of someone who isn't going to say or do something unless you've actually tried it, unless you've actually lived and breathed what that experience looks like. And it's why I am so grateful that Raj connected me with you. And even when the first time I had uh, been blessed to, to meet you at... Um, one of those fun little commercials that we did together over there at that uh, cocktail cuisine is, man, you just non-judgmental vibes. You do everything in which you can in your life that you know you have control over, and it appears like you're always willing to learn and connect with other people. So I appreciate you coming out here today, man. Well, one, Kenny, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Raj Mukai, thank you for the kind words as well. And uh, from from my perspective, I it, it is true, I try to live and breathe this as much as possible, deliver that empathy, 
to to professionals who also want to look great um i whatever i learn i just put it out there i'm you're constantly learning i'm constantly learning and to share that with, with individuals and say hey this is actually what it takes this is things you need to be careful of because honestly i want everyone to be better than me people deserve to not make our mistakes people deserve to grow better and become better individuals and be the best version of themselves mm-hmm. um so yeah um thank you for your time no any time my friend there's a question i always like to ask each guest and i can't wait oh, to no. actually hear your <laughs> oh god what is this <laughs> so you know oh, the idea here is you know in coming on the second floor we would love to know your opinion and perspective on what it takes to um take whatever it is you're doing to the next level we metaphorically embody that mm-hmm. and we bring on very strategically guests who are doing that in their own creative space they mm-hmm. clearly is one yourself are thinking you're always on you're always trying to take it to the next level and what do you believe it takes to do so for someone listening to this being juiced up about right. you know listening to Pradeep and hearing your story of mixing bodybuilding up with your career ambitions what does it take to just take it up to another notch what does it take to take it up to another notch you know the first one asking this question um yeah yeah um I could either be very blunt with this answer mm-hmm. or be very or I can baby the answer out. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know which one I want. I don't know which way to take it here. Um fierce commitment. Fierce commitment. There's no gray area here. Either you want to make it happen or 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 it's just not a priority for you. Very quickly, you will know if it's not a priority for you because you just don't give 100%. Two. Just show up and try. show up and actually try stop daydreaming and actually show up and try three if you're going to go all the way give everything pray for nothing and 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 just work like like hope just stop hoping actually work there's there's no there's no luck in in my opinion it's just work you become lucky because you put in the work um and just learning to really get uncomfortable with the work have have an honest conversation with yourself as to what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it and jay z had said this on his interview with oprah uh this is several years ago um and jay z had said and this always sticks with me when all the lights are off and when no one is watching and when you go home and when you look at yourself in the mirror only you can then ask yourself do you like who you are in the mirror do you like who you see or you don't because putting out a false facade outside the mirror is a very draining thing to do be real be authentic and really self reflect and understand are you doing the things required to take yourself to that second second floor that's the third floor It, it could be any floor <laughs> to be honest that's facts wow it could Thank be just you. entering the door to be honest yeah what a reminder man what a reminder that i'm really glad you shared that if you can't even look in the mirror and smile and be proud of everything you're doing then why are you doing it yeah you know 
Thank you, Pradeep. We are going to now open up the floor for you to share where can people connect with you? Where can people find you? I'm sure after the two hours of them listening to us chat and have some awesome conversation, they're going to want to continue to follow your journey. Where can that happen? I am very accessible on Instagram. That's the one platform I am putting for for people to connect with me. They can DM me at any point. They can comment on items I post. Are you coaching? Can people go to you if they wanted to be coached by you? That is correct. I am practicing some online coaching. I am providing online coaching. Fantastic. I am very selective with the clients I pick because my time matters and their time matters. Who are you looking for? Um, Honestly... Right now, corporate professionals, because wow. I'd, I'd like to, I can provide a lot more empathy. That's what I can provide. You can connect with them I on another level. I can connect with them because I understand the hardships they go through. Um, but even to that, to that fashion, if any professional wants to get in touch with me, and um, if you're, even if you're a, a university student or ideally professional and who wants to improve time management and also meet the expectations of their work and also be in amazing shape. I'm happy to start a discussion with, with, with anyone. It's all about if, if you have the commitment and if you want to make this a priority, I'm happy to do to open a discussion and dialogue with you. And once again, I'm I'm available on on, on Instagram. I'm an, I'm an open book, Kenny. I really am. I have nothing to hide. I've been through it. I've done it. I've managed it. Um, and I, I just want to show people and help people know that you you too can do this. Just 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 commit to it. That's awesome, man. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I enjoy talking to you so much and going over my one hour average one hour. podcast conversation because you're you're a joy to be around, man. Thank you. And I could see a lot of uh, corporate executives, anyone working in the corporate space, uh, really enjoying what it's going to be like with you being their accountability coach. And for those of you who uh, want to experience more of what online coaching is like, this is the guy, you know, you, um, you're able to not only offer people an online coach, you know, through personally experiencing this myself, being an online coach as well as like providing the accurate custom program for individuals, being able to be that person they could call upon daily, weekly with the coaching calls. And again, going back to that accountability I feel like you would not be a person one would want to disappoint. So that's um, that. That's pretty much it, man. I yeah. really appreciate you being on here. I can't wait to, to continue to follow your journey and for people to get a lot of tremendous value from everything you had to say today. Kenny, thank you for your time and the opportunity. I, I, I really appreciate it, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. No problem, brother. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. There it is, my man.